So today is July 12th, and we've all come to chant together to praise the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, which is the development of Buddhanusati, Dhammanusati, and Sanghanusati, that is recollection of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, the Triple Gem. We've come to meditate, to bring our hearts to a state of lucid calm, to bring our minds to a state of samadhi, which can be translated roughly as the mind which is steady and established. Bhavana, the other word we use for formal meditation and practice, means to develop. So we come here to develop samadhi, to develop this stability of heart. This quality of samadhi, of focus, is extremely important in all aspects of our life. A student at school with no samadhi will be unable to study. A worker without it will not succeed in their profession. It's a quality that in some measure, at least, we need for success in any realm of our lives. To establish it on a deeper level, we need to build the practice from the ground up, beginning by taking and protecting the five moral precepts. When we protect these precepts, then we avoid the difficulties that can arise in our life if we live carelessly and trespass these ethical boundaries that the Buddha laid down. One who does not protect the precepts will drink. They might gamble. Problems in their family may arise. And in many ways, they may enter on a path of decay and dissolution in their life. So these five precepts are essential to protect us and make sure that our life does not take a turn for the worse. To hold them brings a degree of peace and happiness, and they can be considered an internal source of wealth, a noble wealth, Aryan wealth. The benefit of the five precepts is a quality of coolness in the heart, which is the literal meaning of nibbana, a cooling. And this, when we speak about nibbana in this context, it means just this cooling or dissipation of the heat that comes when we trespass our ethics. Furthermore, one who keeps good sila must have a degree of samadhi, and the keeping of that sila will further develop that stability of mind and heart. Even if this samadhi is only a stability of heart insofar as it lets one patiently endure through difficulties and temptations 
this is still one level of samadhi and an important thing and quality to cultivate even at this level. We can further develop the quality of samadhi in our formal sitting practice. Uh, we may develop our ability to patiently endure sitting in long sessions despite the body protesting, feeling pain and numbness. This is how we learn the quality of patience. We don't retreat. We continue to push on in our practice. And we learn how to motivate ourselves to move forward on the path. As we progress on the path, the heart will become cool. And we may think of what we're doing in a sense as giving the heart a home or a shelter. To develop samadhi or the stability of heart is to give our minds a place of rest, a home. Without a home, they are vulnerable and to the passing conditions of the mind and will constantly be burnt by the flames of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's like a villager or a impoverished member of a society who doesn't have a house and so is vulnerable to the elements, to the rains, the sun, and because of this suffers greatly. Such a person needs to buy a home, whether big or small, where they can rest and find a degree of well-being and protection. In the same way, this is why we develop samadhi, to give the heart a place of rest from the defilements and the hindrances. Longpur Cha would frequently ask, have you found the, heart, the home for your heart yet? Do you know where your heart's home is? What he was referring to was a place of stability where the defilements would not have complete control over our minds. The quality of samadhi, of lucid calm and stability in the heart protects the mind. It is a home of sorts. But if we have none of it, if our minds are restless and uncentered, then whenever aversion arises, it burns us. So the first step towards developing such samadhi is to keep the sila, the five moral precepts, and to develop them to increased levels of refinement. If our precepts are not yet steady, then we must practice. If our mind is not yet firm enough to hold them well, then we need to develop it. We may, for example, choose to chant a great deal, and this will calm the heart and mind over time. If not a lot, then at least a little bit. The first time I personally 
meditated was when I was 18. My teacher at school was sometimes the recipient of a great deal of abuse and stubbornness from his students. And yet I saw that even when annoyance came up in him, he was able to put it down very quickly, much, much more quickly than the others in my life that I'd seen. And wondering how he was able to do this, I spoke with him. He told me that he practiced samadhi. He meditated on a regular basis. And based on his advice, I also, I also began to meditate. My experiences with meditation at first were pleasant. The heart became cool. But as the years went by, as time passed, I got drawn into the world and stopped meditating, forgetting to apply myself to the practice. I came back to the practice when I was about 21, three years later. At that time, I thought to myself, why don't I try to meditate once again? And closing my eyes, I was astonished by the internal heat flaming up in my mind. I hadn't seen before how my heart was constantly burning, how the thoughts were unceasing in their movement and restlessness. And I found it difficult to sit even for one minute. I asked, why is there so much heat and unpleasantness in my mind? Little by little, I sought to extend the periods of time I could sit from, from one minute to three to five to 15 and eventually up to an entire hour. I worked at it because I saw the benefit of bringing a degree of coolness to my mind and even of just seeing the state of heat and restlessness which I was living in but had before remained ignorant of. I thought of what I'd heard in Dhamma talks previously. In meditation, after reaching approximately one hour in length, I would call to mind the instructions I had heard directing me to contemplate the body, to see it as not me or mine, as not a self, to think of how it will eventually pass away and decay, and to use my imagination to picture it bloating, dissolving into blood, pus, to picture it being devoured by maggots and small animals tossed into a charnel ground, to watch as the animals came and ate it, no longer afraid, but seeing the body, my body, as simply flesh and meat, which they would be able to consume. As the flesh fell off or was devoured from the body, all that was left was the skeletons, the skeleton, the skull, the femur, 
various bones which scattered over time and eventually lost their white color, turning to brown and then to black, finally dissolving into soil. And as I contemplated to this point, it was so clear that the body was effectively empty. After coming to this point, I would begin again and again, and I did it many times. The chitta with each pass would become lighter. And I began to become interested in the practice and take great joy in it. I saw that the eyes were hot, that when they looked at the bones, these also were hot in the body in general, and that this heat that arose between the body and the perception of the body was based on delusion and aversion, that the corrective of this was to contemplate its true nature as unattractive. Similarly, I perceived how the ayatana, the six sense bases, were also burning, how whenever they contacted a sense impression, even a pleasant one, that it was touched with a quality of heat and suffering, that even pleasure was effectively not cool in the sense of cessation and dhamma, but rather hot and in a sense unpleasant actually. Greed was this way as were all the defilements. The mind, when it was lost in such states, grew hotter and hotter unceasingly. I saw that only the Dhamma could cool the heart and quiet my ceaseless proliferation. As I practiced like this, I began to see the Dhamma all around me. You see an old person, a sick person, a dying person, or a dead corpse, and realize that I also will grow old, grow ill, and pass away. One contemplates as a practitioner that they may only live to 60 years of age, to 40 perhaps. It's not certain. People die quite young all the time. They get various diseases even at only 40 years of age. They may not even live, and we may not even live, to see those ripe old years. We don't know when death will come. And because of this, we cannot afford to be careless, but must apply ourselves with diligence towards making the heart peaceful and preparing for that moment of death. The opportunity we have now is of the greatest value to find peace in the heart, to build a shelter for our minds, to cultivate an inner wealth that will be here even when the body passes. There is no task more important. Just as we would build a home for our body with our possessions and give it priority over almost everything in our life if we did not yet have a home, so too 
we must build a home for the heart. If we do, we will find a level of happiness. Such well-being cannot be found in external possessions. Some people manage to grow wealthy and find happiness in that state, but this comes from their giving and using their wealth in order to cultivate generosity and sacrifice. This is the happiness that can come from wealth. As the heart sees the unattractiveness of the body, it becomes more and more beautiful. It sees the body, this form, as a bag of blood, of bones, of organs, of maggots, of decay, and of dissolution. And as it does, it grows brighter and more beautiful. So, having faith in this path, endure what difficulties come along with it. Don't become discouraged. You must work towards this goal. You must work to make the mind and chitta peaceful in samadhi and then use that calm as a basis from which to contemplate and develop wisdom. You may use the meditation objects of asuba, that is the non-attractiveness of the body, of death and its nearness, or even of the breath. And all of these are samatha techniques, techniques which are able to bring the mind to calm. Once calm, the mind will see the body as unattractive, as made of the four elements. And at first this will be difficult, but as we become skilled at it, it becomes interesting and we gain an enthusiasm and inspiration for it. The mind, as it grows calm and peaceful, becomes cool. It's imbued with samadhi and wants nothing more than to sit and walk for long periods. From such calm, an understanding and penetrating insight into the body comes easily. This is what Longpur Cha taught us, that once we've attained a degree of samadhi, to look at the body in terms of asuba, its unattractiveness. As we do this, the mind separates from the body. It loosens its grip and becomes at ease. It experiences rapture and the seven enlightenment factors become robust and powerful. The five indriyas of faith, mindfulness, effort, concentration, and wisdom develop and wax into the five powers, the bala, which are the same qualities but strengthened. All of these things come based initially on the quality of endurance because this is what we need at the beginning of our practice, the ability to remain through unpleasantness and difficulties. We see the danger in samsara, in this endless rebirth, and we see that everyone passes away, everyone dies, but that the Dhamma remains.
that this is what we can depend on. Our hearts become filled with rapture and we look only to the practice. So we've all come here. We've all ordained or come to practice for a time. And as we do this little by little, our samadhi will become clearer and more stable. Wisdom will have a chance to grow. The knowing that gives rise to wisdom is called in the texts bhavana mayapanya, that is wisdom through practice, and it's a clear and immediate knowing. My first strong experience of such insight and wisdom was when I saw a autopsy of a police officer. He died earlier on a run in the morning when he was hit by a car. And as they cut his body open, I saw the contents of his stomach spill onto into view. He'd just eaten breakfast. And I reflected that even 20 minutes before he passed away, he had no idea that he would die. Even 20 seconds, he did not know. Similarly, as they cut off the uniform, I saw that my mind's classifying him as a police officer was simply its own proliferation and, convention, and attachment to conventions, that truly he was just a body, impersonal, not a being, not a self. And then this was wisdom. They put the uniform back on and suddenly there was a police officer again. But I'd already gained an insight into this level of convention. And the mind, after breaking through in this way, was able to see every person around it for the remainder of that day and in the days following as simply puppets, not as people, not as selves almost as automatons moving and walking. And this is what happens when the chitta gathers together and gains penetrating insight. It divides the body into the elements. It sees them as impersonal and not self. It perceives this form as simply a vehicle. It sees convention and achieves liberation. As the heart becomes full, the constant arising and cessation of all conditions becomes visible. The heart sees all things like this, and we understand that we have no choice but to search for an escape, a way out, because nothing around us is reliable. So I hope that all of you take this opportunity and practice with sincerity and dedication, managing to come to the same insight and 
working towards creating for yourselves a true refuge for your minds and hearts.